This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. It is such an honor to have Mike Bickle with us tonight by Zoom, who is going to pour into us, who has lived a life that is so beautiful before the Lord, a life of integrity, a life of love for Jesus, a life of honor, a life of devotion and commitment. God has used Mike to literally trigger intimacy with God in the hearts of a generation. And I am so glad that the Lord has supernaturally connected us, and I believe that this is the first step of, uh, I don't know, we're just going to follow the Lord. So I I don't know if Mike's going to be able to hear this, but I want us to honor Mike. Let's stand and thank God for Mike. Mike, welcome to Jesus Image. We love you. So, Mike, we have our our printouts. If you have your printout, I want you to lift it up. We are ready, Mike, and thank you for being with us. It's an honor to have you. It's all yours. Thank you, Michael. You mentioned earlier that the Lord had given some dreams. There's a couple dreams the Lord has given in the last month about our connection together, and I won't go into the details, But I shared that with our team here, and they were excited, the team here at IHOP, the International House of Prayer here in Kansas City. And we'll talk about those dreams later, but when the Lord does that, just it seems random, but it's really strategic, prophetic, and it's important. And so we're paying attention to it, you're paying attention to it, and we're rejoicing. And of course, I've known you a little bit over the years, and I've known of Jesus MH, and many of the IHOP people here we, we have a local church of maybe three or 4,000 here in Kansas City, and our IHOP staffs up about 600. It's their full-time job to do the prayer room here, et cetera, et cetera. But they know about you, and they know about, uh, of course, Andy Bird's a great friend of IHOP and, and this community. He's been here many times. And uh, what a privilege, Michael, to be with you and to watch this service. I got to watch the whole thing like, whoa, this is for real. I mean, my goodness. And I say this uh, in an honorary way, it feels like I'm at home. This feels so much like what I'm used to. I went, Lord, this is my people. <laughs> we're, we're of the same tribe together. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, just watching it, but I could go on and on. Well, one of the things that I've done for over 30 years, is I always give teaching notes. And a lot of folks don't really care about them, but I'm a teaching note fanatic. <laughs> I love teaching notes. And so I told people that's my love language. So if you give me a Christmas present, don't get me a shirt, give me notes. <laughs> give me something to read. I love it. So I always make notes and, I, and I, I'll go through them. So go ahead and pull them out. And they're on electronically available as well on the website. And I'm just going to go through it, skip some of the paragraphs, but I got the main uh, principles and the main Bible verses here to save you time so you don't have to look them up. We're going to start in paragraph A. And, of course, we're talking about the first commandment. And let me give you a prophecy first. It's a really easy one. The Holy Spirit is going to establish the first commandment in first place in the global body of Christ before the Lord returns. 
I assure you, the Holy Spirit is going to do this among weak and broken people in the flesh, people like me, people that don't have strength to do it. He's going to establish the first commandment in first place globally. I mean, to a billion people before Jesus returns. So I just put a big old target on my heart and I say, here I am. I want to make it easy for you to get me. And I can tell by the, well, the reputation that you have, but the culture of just tonight's meeting, you've got big bullseyes on your heart. So many of you do in that room. And uh, we're not going to be disappointed when this thing, when the Lord returns, we're going to be people lovesick. God's raising up a prepared bride for a worthy son. They're lovesick for Jesus. It, it's, it means it means nothing for us to give everything for love because love, that's what love is. That's what love's about. Love, the reward of love is the ability to love more. That's the reward of love is that we feel it more and give it more. And so we're going to start in paragraph A here on my teaching notes. In Matthew chapter 22, a very familiar verse. And, but it's so familiar, people overlook it. It is one of the most significant declarations in the scripture. Matthew 22, verse 37, and then verse 38 as well. Don't overlook it because it's so familiar. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us. Teach me while I'm talking. Holy Spirit, be our escort. Teach us things. Inspire us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your teaching ministry. I want you to note almost every single word is, is significant. Jesus says, it's his last public sermon, by the way, Matthew 22. If you want to know what Jesus would preach last, read Matthew 22. I know what it is. It's right there. In terms of his public message to, to the people. Then he rebuked the Pharisees, but that was a private issue. But this is his last public message, and he ends it with this declaration. And we're going to see in a minute, it's more than an exhortation. It's actually a prophecy. He is prophesying over Israel. He's prophesying over the redeemed community through history. You shall love the Lord your God. These are his final words of his earthly ministry in terms of a public uh, format. Now, I want you to pay attention to almost every word significant. He says, you shall love the Lord. With all your heart, number one, all your soul, number two, all your mind, number three, in Mark 12, he says all your strength. So there's four dimensions of the human makeup that Jesus addresses. Now, these four dimensions of the human makeup, they overlap some, but they have distinctions. And Jesus wants us, and he's going to anoint us. That's the key part to love him in these four dimensions of our human makeup. And they're very significant. And I want to stir up some of you where this is new to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to go on a journey. Show me how to love you with my strength, my soul. How do I love you with my mind? Show me this. Because if you commanded me to do it, that's the same thing as the promise that you're going to enable me to do it. And if you're going to enable me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so I don't want to be general with this passage. I, I want to like be really specific. Every phrase. Verse 38. Don't miss verse 38. Jesus says something that no one in history has ever said before. He goes, I want you to know from my father's presence, this is the number one priority to my father. This is first. 
This is not peripheral. It's number one to my father. Like, wow. I mean, who could give us that kind of quality information? I want to know what is number one to God. I don't want to get there, stand before him and be shocked. I tell the Lord, shock me now. Don't shock me then. I want to know. And he says, I've graciously told you what is number one. I'm like, thank you. Like, wow. I don't feel pressured by this. I feel directed by it. And then he goes, it's not only the number one commandment to God the Father, it's the commandment that the Father calls great. It's the life choices that God calls great. My goodness. You mean a weak man like me, weak in my flesh. I mean, we, we're strong in, in grace, but weak in our flesh. I can do things, make choices that the revelation for God on the throne with that emerald rainbow says great choices. Like, really? I'm in. I can do that. I'm in. Well, I call this statement, uh, Matthew 22, verse 37, God's mission statement for the human race. Now, most of the human race do not accept it, but it is the mission statement. I've made this the mission statement for my life, for my marriage, for my ministry. And everybody can make this the mission statement. I mean, you can add more words to it. It doesn't have to be just the those phrases. Why is it an important mission statement to adopt? Because it's the most reliable measurement of success when you stand before God. When I stand before God one day, he's not going to ask me how big my conferences were, how big my church was, how many books I sold. He's going to ask me how big my heart response to him was. This is the most reliable measurement of success. Now, again, one guy might feel pressured by that. I feel directed. I, I love clarity. I go, well, thank you. I know what I'm doing now. I know what to focus on. This verse, and I could spend an hour on the next uh, line or two, but I only spent a minute. But I could spend an hour, and I'm sure others of you could do. There's so many implications to this statement that it's, Love God is the first and great commandment. It reveals the nature of God's personality. I mean, what kind of king who has all power makes sharing mutual affection the number one thing of his empire? What king has ever done that? Why would you make this the number one? Kings want obedience and workers. Kings want people that will work for them. The king with all power says the number one thing I want is this mutual affection between me and my people. I go, why? That's because that reveals who he is. It, it gives us, and you could go on and on about that. This commandment gives insight into our value. Why would a glorious, totally satisfied, happy God care if I like him? I mean, I, I don't really bring much to the table. You know, I look at the stars and all that he has and the power. And then I bring my little personality. Why? And the Lord says, it's because you're more valuable to me than you have any understanding. Like, Lord, if I was you, I wouldn't really care if Mike Pickle liked you. I mean, honestly, I don't bring that much to the, to the relationship. Yes, you do. You don't know the value you have to make. This verse actually gives incredible insight to our value. It's not really that. It's how we function. It's the design of the human spirit. This is one of the great secrets of the human makeup and design. We were created for love. We only thrive if we pursue this. 
a lot of ministries, and I'm not like trying to put them down on all this, they dumb this down to make it a uh, salvation of the relationship where there people don't pour themselves into it. They go, oh, by grace, just, you know, just go do what you want to do. It's grace, it's grace. And I say, no, that's the wrong message. Yes, it is grace. But they'll never thrive in their spirit without being wholehearted. They were made for love. It's like tires stuck in the mud. We, we don't want to give them a, a diluted grace message. A biblical grace message of wholeheartedness is what makes the heart alive. We're lying and injuring people by dumbing this down. Anyway, we could go on and on about the implications. There's about 25 of them, actually. I just wanted to kind of stir your mind up that this commandment is more than a commandment. It has many implications about God and life and the kingdom in the future. Paragraph B. John 15, 9. Now, I have two favorite verses in the Bible. You don't need to have a favorite verse, but I got two of them. Then I got a hundred verses that are my second favorite verses, but I got two favorite ones. And if you don't have one, I want to suggest these two verses for you. Again, you don't really have to do this. I'm kind of having a little bit of fun, but it really is my favorite verse. John 15, verse 9. I've been preaching now on a weekly basis. I'm celebrating. I'm on my 50th year. I began in 1972. And so I've preached a lot of years, and I love preaching. But and my point isn't that. My point is, is what I'm going to say. This is the verse over 50 years. I didn't start it 50 years ago, but this is the verse I preached on more than any one verse in the entire Bible, 10 times more than any other one verse. I have used this one. Why am I telling you that? I want you to go, Wow. That's kind of weird. Like, what is this verse? I'm trying to stir your curiosity up. Can go, really? You would, I don't mean I preach a whole sermon on it, but I reference it two minutes, three minutes, eight minutes, one minute, nine minutes, more times than any other verse in 50 years. And I want that to make you take a second look at the verse. That's the only reason I'm saying that, to kind of stir your curiosity. Like, why would somebody make that their favorite verse? Good question. I got your attention. That's what I'm trying to do. And have a little fun, too. I love to have fun, by the way. Jesus makes two, I mean, monumental statements of truth, and then he gives a commandment, which I consider to be the most important commandment in the New Testament. Statement, here it is, I'll say it to you, and then we'll break it down for just a minute, and then we'll move on. But I'm tempted to camp out here for a long time, but I just want to, I want to stir you with this verse. He says, I'll paraphrase it first. He says, I love you in the same intensity that the Father loves me. Now I want you to engage in this truth all of your days. That's what he says in essence. He makes two declarations and one command. Command declaration number one, which is a mountain truth. I mean, it's so big, as the Father loves me. The subject of how God loves God. How the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, the mystery of the Trinity, how God loves God, how God has infinite pleasure in relationship with God, the Father and the Son, the Son and the Spirit, the Spirit and the Father, every combination, big, big, big subject. Jesus is only whispering. He said, I'm going to tell you there's a reality that you guys don't know about. It's the way we interact. It's deep. It's intense. It is actually the security of the entire eternal kingdom is the way God loves God. 
If this was not true, everything would eventually fall apart. This is a giant truth that we could deserves a lot of time to spend on. I spend a lot of time in my personal life and studying and teaching in the interaction of the Godhead, and you find more in the Gospel of John than anywhere in the Bible. But anyway, I just want to throw that out there. The way God loves God, I go, okay. And like Jesus is all but saying, go search out that truth. I'm just whispering it. Because as God loves me, that would be just like a title in a big book in the divine library. That's just a phrase, a hint. Go search it out in the Bible. There's much more in the Bible than, than you would think at a quick glance about how God loves God. He goes, that's the same way I love you. This is indescribably glorious. I mean, this is so big, it bounces right off our natural mind without Holy Spirit escort and Holy Spirit help. This is bigger than our natural mind to grasp. And we'll never grasp it fully in this age anyway, but we can grasp it a whole lot more than we do now. And incidentally, this is at the Last Supper, which you know, it's right before he'd go to the cross the next day. He told them like an hour later, and by the way, every one of you are going to stumble tonight and fall away. I mean, you're going to trip and deny me, or you're going to abandon me, every one of you. But I want you to know, I'm going to recover you because I love you, even in your weakness, the way God loves me. Like, my, now they don't believe they're going to stumble that night, but the next day, I think verse 9 was the verse they hung on to more than anything. They said, how could that be true? He knew we wouldn't follow through the way we thought we would. And he already declared our recovery on the front end. This is, I think, the most dynamic truth in the Bible. The way God loves God is the way God loves us. Like, those are so big. that when I read this phrase, and I'm going to do it for a second, I like to pause and talk to the Lord about this. I, uh, my favorite prayer. I mean, this is my favorite verse and the one I'm going to read in a second in John 17. And they, they, and they go together, by the way. It's my favorite prayer, too. My favorite verse is my, and my favorite prayer. I, I have a sermon. My two favorite verses and my two favorite prayers, and it's these all go together. And here's the prayer. I like, And I want to lead you in prayer for just 30 seconds. Thank you, Father, for the way you love Jesus. Show me more. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me and the intensity the Father loves you. Show me more. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me more of God's love for me and impart more of love for God in me. Holy Spirit, I'm hungry for this in Jesus' name. Well, every time you read this, not every time, I just exaggerated. I don't do this every time. I just overstated it, but I do it a lot. I pause and I say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me this way, show me more. And then I throw in a few more phrases. Because you want to turn this into conversation. You don't want to just underline it and, you know, put it on social media. Wow. You want to turn this into conversation with them. And you do that by saying, thank you, show me more. And then more, you'll say more phrases here and there. But I always start with those two. Thank you, show me more. And then whatever comes after it, and sometimes nothing more comes. Sometimes I don't do that. But mostly I do. Because I want this, is, I want this to be in my conversation with the one who has eyes of fire, who's looking at me, who loves me. Well, those are the two greatest uh, statements. Mountain is truth. Mountain truth, that's just my own term. What I mean is it's a truth of so many levels. It's so deep and so high. There's so many dimensions to those two truths. Then he gives, I consider it the greatest, the most important commandment in the Bible. 
he says in the New King James, what I'm reading, he says, abide in these truths. Or another verse says, live in them. One of the truth says, you know, dwell in them. But here's the point. What does it mean? Stay engaged in these two truths. That's what it means. And so how do you do that? Because I've taken that abide in love, in these two dimensions of love. I've taken it like literal as can be. I go, okay, how do I stay engaged? Study it, okay? So over for, for some decades, I don't know how long does it matter, but for some decades, I studied everything I could study on how God loves God or how God loves me. I've read any article. I don't care if I have to read like 20 pages to get three new paragraphs. I want to find three new paragraphs. I want to study it, number one. I want to keep it in my conversation with God, number two. Number three, I want to talk about it. I have preached more on the first commandment than any one subject, but on this verse. And the reason is because he said, stay in this. Like, okay, that seems pretty simple. If if that's what you call great, cool. I, I know where I'm going. I'm going to do this. And so let's go to paragraph C. This is the second number favorite verse. And it goes together. You really can't make them separate. It's a few moments later in John 17. Now Jesus turns this into prayer. He's talking to the Father. And he says, Father. Now it's right. It's his very last verse of John 17, the very end of his prayer before he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives. The very last thing. He goes, Father. The love with which you love me, put it in them supernaturally. Like, are you kidding me? Jesus asked the Father that a weak man like me could love him with the Father, the way the Father does? The way the Father does? You mean the way the apostles did? No. The way you love me, Father. Beloved, if you want to be, you know, we've talked over the years. You know, for the last 50 years, there's been a lot of conversation about the faith movement. In the 70s, when I first became a pastor, in the 80s and 90s, I'm in my 60s now. I'm 66 years old, so I'm an old guy. But anyway, so 70s, 80s, 90s, faith movement, faith movement. And there's a lot of good things in the faith movement, but here's the point I want to make. Exercise your faith to get this verse operating in your life. Make your the prayer of faith locked into this. Yeah, we want money, power. Ministry, influence, favor, make those number two. Make the prayer of faith focus number one on John 17, 26. Say, well, if Jesus prayed it, he, he all but prophesied it if he prayed it. Oh, my goodness. All he's waiting for is a co-signature on the earth. He's already signed it once. He signed the check. The, I make this prayer, 17, 26, and 59, the number one prayer of my life. And, and I don't always do it. Again, I don't want to exaggerate. But uh, because sometimes I'll go for some weeks and I don't even do it. And, but I have committed, Lord, if you will remind me, I will always make this the number one focus of my life. And, and I'm, you know, I've been doing IHOP here. Uh, I, I told you I've been uh, preaching for 50 years, but I've been doing IHOP for 22, 22 years. It's our anniversary in about a week where we've had 27 worship, 24-hour worship, seven days a week for 22 years. It's never stopped even one minute. The music has never stopped one minute in 22 years. And, and so I'm here at IHOP and worship and doing all this stuff. And I get so caught up sometimes in the opportunities, because big opportunities of ministry or problems. I mean, all kinds of problems. I'm not going to bore you with my problems every day. Like, oh. <laughs> and, and they're worse than my back getting hurt when I bend over. But that actually happened to me, too. That was funny you said that. 
my back's hurting today for the first time. I went, what? What is it right here? <laughs> anyway, forget all that. But I get caught up in my opportunities <laughs> and I get caught up in my pressures and I forget to make this my number one prayer. I pray more about those things. And the Lord says, good, pray those, but don't pray about them as number one. I go, oh, yes, of course. Bring me back to abide in these truths. Okay, let's look at paragraph D. <clears throat> let's go back to the very first time in, in human history where God says it out loud that we know of. In, in terms of biblically, the biblical record. Love the Lord your God. First time ever it's ever declared in human history from the biblical record, Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy, through Moses, God speaks it audibly to Moses. Now, first time ever, Deuteronomy 6. Now, this, I think, was shocking to Israel. Why is it shocking to Israel? Because Israel was in slavery in Egypt. You all know the story of the Exodus and the Ten Commandments and the Ten, you know, you know, whatever, and freed Egypt. Oh, the 10 plagues of Egypt, so I'm trying to say it's been a long day. Anyway, uh, we all know the story. They come to the Red Sea, but it's easy to miss this amazing thing I'm going to tell you next, is that they go to the Red Sea, and they meet God, their first meeting with God, Exodus 19. You don't want to miss Exodus 19. It's real easy to, to kind of go past that. Two to three million Jewish slaves freed from Egypt are standing before a mountain, two to three million. All of them are there, Exodus 19. And, God, and Moses, and they're saying, Moses, we don't really know you. I mean, you're new here. You know, and we saw the miracles, but wow, like, tell us about your God. I mean, we know he's the God of Abraham, but we don't, we've been in Egypt for 400 years. We've kind of lost some of the story here. Tell us about your God. And Moses goes, great. He says, he's going to talk to you face to face. I mean, nearly face-to-face -face on this mountain, Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. You really want to read it. They go, okay, good. So they all show there, show up. 600,000 men. So that means two or three million, all the women, children, everyone's there. The glory of God comes on a mountain. Fire, not natural fire. The mountain shakes, not an earthquake, a super lightning and thunder, not natural lightning and thunder. Trumpets. It is the most glorious. It's actually a down payment of what the second coming is going to look like. It's a first installment on one mountain. What's going to be seen across the whole earth when he comes back? That was just a hint. It's the most dramatic supernatural encounter in human history of a public group where two, several, two, three million people saw it. They were so terrified. They drew back. I mean, terrified. Thunder, lightning, fire, quaking mountain. I mean, like, oh, my God. God, who are you? And they draw back. So now they, this is my uh, read. You can't, there's nothing that says it in the Bible, but they're, Moses, what does he want? What does your God want? He terrified us. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord says, tell them this. I want them to love me tenderly. They're going, that's what he wants? Are you kidding? What? It seemed like he wanted something different. <laughs> seemed like he wanted us afraid. Tell them, Moses, what I want is they would love me tenderly. I think Israel was shocked by this statement. This is one of the greatest statements imaginable. That a God that appeared like that wants this? Wow. 
I mean, I'm really in. I, if this is real, and it is, of course we know it is. We're in, man. I'm all the way in for this. All the way in for this, no matter what it costs. So in chapter 6, I want you to catch, I'm going to give you a nuance. That you don't miss the nuance. Deuteronomy 6, it's an exhortation. I want you to love me tenderly. I mean, those are my terms. But notice chapter 30. It's not an exhortation. He says the same thing, but it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy. Deuteronomy 30 is a prophecy. And then, by the way, it's an end-time prophecy. You read Deuteronomy 30. I've studied it a little bit over the years, and it is clearly, if you read the details, a prophecy of the generation the Lord returns. And Moses prophesied, the Lord is going to touch your heart to cause you and your descendants. You read the whole thing on your own. He says, you and your descendants will love him with all your heart. He is going to circumcise your heart. He's going to touch your heart by the Spirit. That's what that means. He's going to touch your heart by the power of God. So, Matthew 33, let's go back. Let's go back to the verse we started with. I mean, just in our mind, Jesus stands there in Matthew 22 and says, You shall love the Lord your God. What he's doing, he's, he's giving the exhortation what Israel ought to do, but he's also giving a prophecy what the Spirit of God is going to do in them. He stands because they're saying, hey, what's the deal? He said, the exhortation is a prophecy. I'm bringing both of the things I told Moses together in one declaration, and it's Jesus' final public declaration over the over his people who were listening to him. I mean, the people that, that had a heart to hear him. I mean, that's remarkable. Now, paragraph E, I don't want to take a lot of time on this because I know you already have this in your spirit, but it's got to be said. Jesus defined loving God as rooted in a spirit of obedience. Not, I didn't say attaining to mature obedience. Because I don't even know for sure what that is, you know. How mature is mature? Like someone says, how mature is your love? My God, I don't know if on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 3 or an 8 or a 6 or a 4. I don't know. I just know that I have a spirit of obedience. I've committed to obey. I don't measure how far I got. I don't even know. And I tell a young believer, a week old in the Lord, you can have the same spirit of obedience an older believer has. Even though your love isn't as mature, but the spirit of obedience is in place. And Jesus said, he connected loving God. He says, you've got to love God on my terms. Because out in the culture today, many young adults, they're wanting to love God. They're, they're, they're using their own authority, their own imaginations. But there's enough of them doing it, they believe each other. They're wanting to love God on their terms. And you cannot do that. We have to love God on God's terms, not because God's mean, because God's the only one who knows what love is and how love is awakened in the heart. And so we cannot shift. We cannot shift the definitions. And I mean, our IHOP world is very similar to what you do when we worship for long hours, sing in the spirit. And I tell our people, affection in a worship service is beautiful. But love is way more than singing for an hour on a Sunday meeting. I mean, that is part of love, but love is way more than that. So some people think if they are real intense for an hour, they love God. They, well, I mean, that's real. It's genuine. But it, love is bigger than that. So I want to just, and I already know you know this, but we're going to anchor love, uh, loving Jesus in a spirit of obedience in the grace of God, the biblical message of grace, not the distorted message that's getting so popular today. Paragraph F, 
Now notice, and we're going back to the first verse I started with, Matthew 22. He said, love God with all your heart and soul strength. Then he says, then he says, this is the first and the great commandment. I already covered that for a moment, but I'm going to take one more moment on it. He's all but saying, hey, I didn't tell Moses it was the first and great. I just told Moses to love God. I'm telling you what no one else has ever heard. And I've come from my father's presence, and I'm telling you something very important so you know it. This is what God counts number one when he looks at your life. Like, good to know. And this is what God considers great decisions based on this. Awesome. I, I really want to know that. I don't want to guess. I thought what God called great is how I touched more people than you did. And the Lord said, well, there's not that many people touch lots of people. I'm guessing 99.9% of the body of Christ, they don't touch thousands of people. They touch the people around them. You know, there's a there's a, only one or two Reinhard Bonkies. You know, there's Reinhard Bonke, Billy Graham, and a few others. There's not that many touching millions and millions. And of course, with social media, there's more, but still it's a fraction of 1%. So greatness can't be how many people listen to you. That can't be what greatness is. It's the choices we make that God calls great. The impact it gives us, I want a big impact. I really do. But that's not the essence of if my life is great. And a lot of guys are confused. So they're looking for bigness when they ought to be searching for greatness. And greatness and bigness in the eyes of men are not the same thing. I want something God's going to call great when I meet him eye to eye. So he... He, uh, he identifies this as top priority. This is not peripheral. I've had a couple friends over the years, pastor friends. We all have different emphasis. They go, well, you know, you do that first commandment thing. I go, I, I, I wouldn't be nice. This is the Jesus thing. <laughs> I stole it from him. I go, this is not peripheral. The first commandment is first. And I go, I'm saying that to be nice to you. You don't want to preach 30, 40, 50 years and then find it out on your deathbed. That's first. Like, find it out now. <laughs> And so I say that with kindness. Now, I don't want to be a know-it-all. I want to be helpful. And this is, I'm going to give you a thought, that the only thing that God wants is something he does not have. The only thing he wants, the only one thing he wants the most, is something he does not have. He will not take it by force. All of your love. Because that's what I want most. But I don't have it yet. I'm talking larger, you know. I'm not saying some of you aren't doing that. He says, what do I want most? I don't have it yet, and I'm not going to take it by force. I'm going to woo you and wow you to give it to me. That's what I want most, though. And that's what Jesus Image Ministry, you guys are really locked into this. I, I know I, I know your, your, the spirit you have. I know your, your messaging. It's really stay with it because there's going to be an onslaught of pressure to back away from this, but we're not backing away. Because the thing he wants most is the thing he doesn't yet have, and he won't take it. He'll wow us and woo us till he gets it. Well, paragraph G, it's the first priority. It's the first emphasis. You know, we have a beard IHOP. In the 22 years we've been doing it, we have healing rooms. We, you know, got the idea from Santa Maria, from other ministries, and we got prophecy teams. So we got a whole bunch of, I don't know, you know, like, thousands of people a year they come and they we get two or three people they prophesy over them they make an appointment we got lots of teams doing healing and prophecy and and so therefore people come and visit and they think you guys got lots of prophecy I go well we give lots of li little prophecies to people to encourage them i don't know how great all of our prophecies are but but i get asked all the time 
what's the Lord saying? And I, I kind of like trick them a little bit, but I, but I say this kind of tongue in cheek. I say, I know what the Lord's saying the most. They go, really? You know, they're thinking, you know, Asia, Israel, Iran, you know, the money market, what, what gold? I go, I know what he's saying. Number one, who's going to win the election? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I know what the number one He's calling us to the first commandment. That's what he's saying first. I go, Oh, come on. I know that. I go, I don't really think we all know that. A lot of prophetic ministries. I tell prophetic ministries, if you're not hearing that first, I mean, you're off, go back and ask for more info. That's what he is saying first. I have it from the lips of Jesus. This is first. And this is what he calls great. This is this commandment. The word great, I could apply it 10 different ways. I'm only going to do one or two for time's sake. Think about this. This is the commandment that has the greatest impact on God. What? Yeah. People like us and our weakness, our weakness and our humanity, by the spirit of grace, can respond because God's so filled with love. We impact him. This moves him the greatest. Wow. This is what moves us the greatest if we go for it. Like I tell people, I'm not going to dumb this down because this is what will make you feel the strongest inside if you'll stay with it. Maybe you won't feel it in the first few months or so, maybe longer. I don't know. But this is has the greatest impact on your heart. More than that, this is the lifestyle that God calls great when you stand before him on the last day. You know, when Billy Graham, you know, stands before the Lord. I've said this kind of like a joke. I've said this for years, but now he has done to meet the Lord. But I said this many years ago, too. I said, Jesus isn't going to say, Father, I think that's Billy Graham. Oh, my, that's amazing. You know, and there's Billy Graham. You know, Billy, how many stadiums did you fill? Oh, Lord, hundreds. They're not going to ask Billy Graham how many stadiums they filled. They're going to ask Billy Graham the same thing they're going to ask me, the same they're going to ask you. What was not the size of your impact? What's the size of your heart response to my leadership and to my heart? That's what Billy Graham's going to be asked. That's what everybody is going to be asked. When I meet the Lord eye to eye, that's our first thing, point of definition. I mean, he'll say he loves us and all that. But in terms of my life, it's measured by this. And it's really good to know that on this end. I don't want to discover this on my deathbed. Let's go to the top of page two. And I'm just going to, I'll take a, Couple more minutes on the first love God with all your heart, and then just rapid fire. I'll text the other ones. Then I'm going to pray for you and have a short little ministry time. First thing he says, love God with all your heart. That means we're going to engage with our affections. I'm not talking about ex expressions in worship service styles because there's. I'm talking way more than an hour worship service because some people think engage means this and that for the hour. It's bigger than that. And again, I'm not commenting on that because some do it this way, some do it that way. That's not my point. My point is Monday to Friday, Monday to Monday, Monday, we want to set our heart to engage with enthusiasm and affection. We don't want to serve dutifully disconnected. And I'm not looking for Bible verses where I can give less of my heart to God. I, I want to go all the way. Jesus is saying, all your heart, figure out ways to give me more. Not give me less. Here's your question. Not here's the question you should ask. Lord, how can you strengthen me to give you more? How far will you let me go? 
How abandoned will you let me be? And I don't mean you've got to get on a plane and go to a foreign uh, mission field and die as a martyr. You might, but that's not what I mean. I mean just whatever your assignment is. The question isn't let's find Bible verses where we can do a little bit of immorality, a little bit of drunkenness, a little bit of covetousness, a little bit of bitterness, and we got grace, we're covered. I'm not trying to find Bible verses to feel comfortable with a compromising dull heart. That's not what I'm going for. I want to be all the way in. I want to love with all my heart, with zeal, not dutifully serving. I'm serving in all the ministries. Somebody might say, the Lord says, but you never talk to me. You're like the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. You've lost your first love. You're serving hard, but you're, I want, I want your heart. Come on. I'm in this for the heart connection, and then we'll work together. Paragraph B. It's this phrase. I, I love this phrase. I, I get it from uh, uh, Psalm 91, verse 14. And this is a very important passage for uh, to me for many, many decades. Where it talks about, the psalmist says, the person who set his love upon God. It was the Lord speaking. He says, the, guy, the man, the woman, they set, it's the phrase, set their love on me. Like, wow, that phrase grabbed me in my 20s. I'm in my 60s now. That phrase grabbed me. I went, to set, what? Ooh, what's that mean? And this is the Lord. That moved the Lord. So I said, okay. Lord, I don't even know what that means. Set my love on you. Huh. Okay. And what it became clear to me is that I would make the primary dream of my life. Let me say this real careful. Because we have pr a primary dream and then we have secondary dreams. My primary dream when I was a, a new pastor in my early 20s, my primary dream of life was I wanted a godly wife, which I have one. I wanted a godly family, which I have by the grace of God. I wanted kingdom friendships, meaningful ones, which I do. And I wanted a ministry that impacted others in a deep way. So I want, and I wanted financial blessings so I could do it. So I want godly family, kingdom friendships, impact. And financial resources where I could do it. Lord goes, that's great. Make those dreams, keep them. Make them number two. Well, they're number one. I mean, that's what I pray about. That's what I dream about. He goes, here's what I want. He whispered in my heart. I'll, I won't go the whole story. Make walking in the anointing of the first commandment the number one dream of your life. And then make those other very important subjects number two. It was so clear. I went, Okay, I don't even know what that means. The anointing, the great, call it grace. Grace and anointing is the same thing. The grace of God, the anointing on my heart to actually walk out the first commandment over the next many decades. That'd be my, well, I'd like to have a big church. Well, no, no, make that number two. And with a godly family, kingdom, friendships. And I want money. I want a billion dollars. I want to give money to the kingdom. I want to go for it. He goes, no, no, go for that. Go for that. Go for that. But make that number two. Talk to me more about growing in the anointing of the first commandment and talk to me about those others, but make those seconds. And I remember the, the day I did it, and I didn't feel anything, to be honest. But I look back 40 years plus later, about 40 years later, I don't know the exact day. I was in my early 20s and then my mid-60s now. I remember vividly. Uh, I was a little perplexed because what I did, had done is when I, was, I got radically saved when I was 15, and I was 16, 17, 18, and I was in a real fiery youth group in the early 70s, 1971, 72. And uh, we all read Christian biographies of missionaries, radical men and women of God. I mean, we read them all. 
And when I would, I started preaching on a weekly basis when I was 16 years old to the 12 and 14 year olds. But you know, actually, I had brought little notes too, crazy as that is. And so I would tell them about Jay Hudson Taylor and CT Stud and all these kind of missionary guys and these 13 years didn't really care. And then I got to into the university when I was 18. I had led a Bible study at the campus and told stories about men who knew God and women who knew God. But, and I could tell the stories. I love the books. I didn't, I didn't really like the Bible that much. I mean, I love the Bible theory, but it was so boring to me. And I didn't really like prayer. I liked meetings and I liked, I love to go to meetings and I love stories, but the Bible itself and prayer myself reading it, I was like, ah, it was really boring. I was in college going, Lord, I got a real problem because I, I love you as long as I talk to you in a meeting, but alone, it's not really working. If an angel would have appeared to me back in my college days and said, yeah, young man of God, you're going to have 24-hour prayer and worship, I would have died of pain. That would be horrible. I didn't like prayer meetings at all. <laughs> I loved outreaches. And I love meetings when we got together and sing and hear teaching. And but same anyway, way, I would always tell when it was my turn, because I would teach on a weekly basis, and then I'd go to other meetings. I'd go meeting fanatic when I was 17, 18. I love to go to Christian meetings. And uh so one day, I don't know how old I was, 22, 23, something like that. I said this most important sentence in my life. And I slammed my hand on the table. And I said, Why not me? be one of these guys. It never dawned on me. I was so happy to talk about a man who knew God. I was happy to know a person who knew God. I didn't overly, was not that troubled that I didn't know God very well. I mean, I, I was born again and I was on fire and I witnessed a lot of people, but I said, what if, I remember it was like, what if I know God? Like, really? <laughs> I mean, what if I'm one of them? I don't mean I have their ministry, but their dedication. And I slammed my hand on the table. I remember, I remember vividly, 40 years ago plus, I went, why not me? And this, this concept, I'm going to set my heart on you today. Okay, I'm going to make a life choice. 40 plus years later, the most significant decision I ever made in my life was that decision that day. After becoming born again, of course, I determined that walking in the first commandment would be my primary dream. I would study it more than anything, talk to God about it, preach about it, try to walk it out. Now, I stumbled so many times. I mean, it, 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 you know, I got lots of stories if it makes you feel better of how I didn't do it. <laughs> anyway, but I talked about this and I set my heart. And, I, and I'm going to lead you in that prayer to make that your primary dream. I didn't feel a thing. I prayed it. Yes. It balanced. Oh, well, okay. Woke up the next morning, felt the same as the day before. And I thought, well, I don't think it took. And it just a little whisper in my heart says, it, it did. Start studying it. So I started reading books on how to love God. I'd never read any before. You know, I read stories of biographies of missionaries, but I started studying Bible verses. I started talking to the Holy Spirit. How can I love God? And the Holy Spirit, I'm joking, he didn't really say this, but I thought you would never ask. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm here for, to teach you how to love Jesus. Like, oh, good point. I, never, I thought you were here to, I can have power in my ministry. Yeah, that too. But I, I'm here first to guide you, to escort you into truth, that he is the truth. The truth is a man. I'm going to escort you into him. I'm going to take you by the hand. And 
That day, I said, okay, how are you going to do it? And the, and the answer is just keep talking to me, search out books, ask other people, stay in the conversation, and little by little, it will connect. And I look back, and it really, the most important decision I ever made in my life to make that the primary dream. And I deviate from it many times since then. Many, I'll go some weeks, sometimes months, to be honest without making that the number one thing that I'm talking to the God about. Because I get into my ministry opportunities. I get lots of great opportunities. And so I talk to God about them, which I should. Or I got many, many pressures and problems. And I talk to God about them, which I should. But sometimes I go weeks and months at a time where I talk to God about them more than revelation of how to walk in the first commandment. And, and I told the Holy Spirit way back then, if you will remind me, which he has many, many times, I will reline back up. I really will. Because I'm not smart enough or good enough or dedicated enough to do it myself. And probably in these 40 years, whatever the number is, three or four times a year, not a hundred times a year, and not and more than once, I have to stop and go, I did it again. I drifted from this as my primary focus. And, and I feel like the Lord's pleasure says, if you keep coming back, I'll keep letting you know. And one of the reasons I preach on the first commandment so much, because like tonight when we're done, I go home, drive home, I go, Lord, I mean it this time. I'm in again. I preach on it like it pulls my heart into it. And I study it and I get everybody else studying it because then they ask me questions. And then we talk about it. We talk about it. We sing about it. We pray about it. And it keeps pulling me into the conversation. So part of the way I do it is I call it sanctified selfishness. Because it keeps me in the conversation. And so <clears throat> let's go to uh, the second one, loving God with all your mind. It's just ever so fast. Did you know you can express love for God with your mind? By what you put in your mind, it can inspire or diminish your ability to feel love from God and give love to God. I'm going to say that again. What you put in your mind, can inspire and enhance your ability to feel the love of God. I mean, I love feeling it. I don't always feel it, but I love feeling the love of God. And the Lord says, you love me with your mind, it will enhance your ability to feel it more. Not all the time. Sometimes I don't feel it at all. Sometimes I feel rotten. I just go, ah! <laughs> you know, just so you know. But if I can put things in my mind intentionally that inspire and enhance and increase my ability to feel it, and to give it back to God. So what you do with your mind is really important. And I got a very important verse here. I'm not going to take time on it. Uh, Job 31. We are in the most pornified culture. And there's an explosion of pornography that's happening in the next five and ten years. Beyond anything we've ever imagined with all the technology and all the things. It is critical that we, even if we blow it, we sign back up. Blow it, sign back up. Make a covenant with your eyes, to love God with your mind, and make a covenant with your eyes. Job 31, critical, critical. If you blow it, sincerely repent. And you can blow something a number of times to keep repenting, and it's sincere. Stay in the conversation, and he'll help you. Because many young, sincere believers, they weep when they worship, but they're, they're, they go home and they do pornography stuff. And the Lord says, no, no, that's, that's hurting your ability to receive from me. It's not like I'm super, I'm not like mad at you. That's not the point. The point is you were created for something different. 
Because pornography and immorality, which is exploding in the generation of the Lord returns, is the counterfeit to the first commandment. It's Satan's attack on the first commandment. Let's go to the next one. Roman number four, love God with your strength. Well, your strength, I believe it's your natural resources, your, 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 your time, your words, your money. Like right now, right now tonight, you are giving time to learn how to love God. You're loving God with your strength. You're loving with your mind too. But with your strength, you gave time tonight. That person you talked to yesterday, when they were discouraged and you talked to them, you loved God by putting, you were tired, you had concerns, you were late for something. I mean, that's, you know, happens all the time. And you stopped and talked to that guy and prayed for him. You gave time, you gave energy, you gave words. You loved God with your strength. You gave money. Money is your strength. Anyway, there's all those areas are. That's enough on that. Let's go to the final one. Just take four or five minutes on this one, and I'm going to pray for you. Loving God with your soul. I find, in my opinion, and I, I don't, I'm not like the expert on all this, but I have studied it for lots of years, and so I've got opinions about it, and I, but I'm open always to learn more and to change my opinions. But I think this is the most challenging of the four, is to love God with your soul. This is how I understand this, and I, and I, and I think I'm... Uh, that the Lord's helping me to grasp this, though I'm sure there's much more to it than what I get. Love, let's read paragraph A. I want you to read it with me. Just, I mean, just to watch it with your eyes. We express loving God with our soul, real careful language, when we exert the emotional energy to realign our heart or mind, to base our identity on our relationship with God instead of on our accomplishments or recognition, etc. Let me say that all over again. That's a big sentence. And then I'm going to give you a couple examples. Uh, and then you go, oh, okay, because that's too weird of a sentence right now. <laughs> I love God with my soul when I do this. It takes emotional energy to realign my heart, to stop, put my foot down, say, no. That negative emotion I have right now is because I'm basing my identity on my recognition or what I'm achieving that's not my identity. My identity is based on who we are together. And people liking me or not liking me, the money coming in, the money coming down, the, my impact increasing or decreasing, that's not my identity. But by nature, I base my identity on what I accomplish or how I'm recognized, or I base my identity on my failures or my deficiencies. I can't do this. I can't do that. I said. Well, my ministry's big, so I'm amazing. My ministry, uh-oh, people are mad. People left, it's little. The money's coming in. The money's not coming in. People are happy. People are mad. By nature, I base my identity, my value on that. And the Lord says, I understand. You were, you were born with that mindset. I want you to exert the emotional energy to transition over when you have those negative emotions and to say what I say about you and base your identity upon our relationship. Okay. Now, what do I mean by our identity? Paragraph B, just one sentence. Our identity, this is simple, street-level definition. What do you mean by my identity? It's the way you define your success and your value. That's how you see yourself. I am successful because my ministry is growing. I am a failure because my ministry is decreasing. I am successful because my marriage and family is doing good. I am a failure because my family is doing bad. The Lord says, no, not in the primary sense. Those are secondary definitions of success, not the primary one. 
you love me and I love you. You're already successful. Line up there and then with that base, go take on the challenges or the opportunities that are facing you. Paragraph C. I've, oh, I love this. One of my favorite things to say. I've said it a thousand, I don't know, thousands and thousands of times. Whenever I get pressure, which is every other day, <laughs> I got pressure just like you do. Our primary success, I, I don't mean secondary success, because I believe in the secondary definitions of success. You excel in your uh, craft. You are succeeding in your impact. I mean, there's lots of definitions of secondary success, and I like those. It was my secondary dream. It's the same ones. I want a godly family. I want godly king of friends. I want an economic blessing. I want ministry impact, et cetera, et cetera. But our, so that's our secondary success, our secondary identity, sense of identity. Here's, here's what I do. I, my heart gets in pain, and I go, oh. And when I get in pain or trouble, trouble's what I mean even more Pain sometimes true, but but I mean pressure, discouragement, obstacles. I go, you know what? I don't want to just keep pressing in. Because when you get discouraged or get burdened by obstacles and pushed back by people, and you know, people criticize you justly and unjustly, all, all kinds of things. We all have it. You go like, I don't even I don't want to do this anymore. That's the most normal human reaction. And the Lord says, uh, wait a second. I stop, no, I stop, and I think, I go, why am I pressing into God hard anyway? <sighs> I stop, and I've done this a thousand times. I go, wait a second. You're the Genesis 1 God, and you love me. Oh, my goodness, that's awesome. And by the grace of God, I'm one of the minority of, the, of history who loves you. You know, there's seven or eight billion people on the earth, whatever the number and less than a billion are believers, and a lot less are on fire, but it's called a billion. That's one out of seven, one out of eight. That's a minority. The minority of human history received the grace of God to love me back. I go, wait a second. You love me, and somehow, by the miracle of the grace of God, I love you. Not that great, but I do love you. I'm already one of the most successful human beings in history. I'm in the category of the mind the really small minority i went i'm already successful wow the thief on the cross jesus looks at him he goes today in paradise with me the thief steps over the line he dies he steps over that line he's in the realm of the spirit he goes i knew i was a king i never would have been a thief why didn't somebody tell me who i was i didn't know this is who i was i don't want to wait till then to find out who i am um, and the, the king, believe it or not, the thief of the cross, because he's in the kingdom, he's in that whatever the percent of human history is in the kingdom, I don't know. It's, it's certainly the minority. He's in that group. He becomes one of the more successful, successful people of human history because he's in that family. Because the majority isn't. Like, wow. But what a disaster to wait to the last breath to get in it. So I'll tell you a quick little story. And I'll end with a story. And so, wait, wait, I, wait, one more point in the story. Paragraph D, I just looked at my notes. <laughs> That's why I have them. When we, our identity is rooted in what we achieve or how many people like us or who's applauding or who's giving us likes or, you know, if the pastor likes you, if the, if the CEO likes you, if they're promoting you, if you, your identity is, therefore your happiness is based on that, you get into an emotional storm when it goes the other way. 
And when you're in an emotional storm, this is why we love God with our soul. I can't love him well when I'm in an emotional storm. And he knows that. So he goes, if you want to love me with your soul, you want to love me well? I mean, even in your weakness, still love me to your capacity. You've got to resist the emotional storm then if you want to love me well. So love me by realigning to me. Realign to who you are to me so you love me well. That's how you love me with your soul. And so you know how to love me with your heart, with your mind, with your strength. But this is the hardest one, the most challenging. When you get in that, that funk, no. It's about loving God that I have to transition and realign my mind. I mean, it does make me feel better, but it's bigger than that. That's how I love him. I committed to love him with all my soul. So here's my final story. Here's the story I was going to tell you, and I'll end with this and pray. 20, uh, 38 years ago, it's only about a three-minute story. 38 years ago, I'm pastoring in Kansas City. I got a young adult church, and this guy walks in named Bob Jones, this prophetic guy. Some of you have heard his name. Anyway, I'm going to skip the story. The Lord speaks audibly. 38 years ago, in May 1983, I mean, it's 38, that's a long time ago, speaks audibly. I mean, you don't get an audible voice direction. I mean, maybe you get one in your life, you know, or maybe two or maybe none, mostly none. Uh, audible voice direction. He says you're going to do 24-hour prayer with singers and musicians. That's the essence. That's not the exact sentence, but that's what it means. I didn't like that, to be honest. I went, What? I don't want to do 24 hour prayer. I want to be like Reinhardt Bonnke and Charles Finney and John G. Lake. I don't want to do 20, I want to be at prayer meetings. I want somebody else to be at the prayer meetings. I want to do Reinhardt Bonnke stuff. <laughs> and he said, no, you can do 24 hour prayer with singers and musicians. I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician. I don't like prayer, you know, Ugh. but it was audible. So I put the sign on the wall. It was a big story. He confirmed it. That's enough confirmation, but it's a big story. I'm going to skip it. And so the sign on the wall. So for 16 years, I'm pastoring this young adult church. Because I'm started in my 20s, and now I'm in my early 40s. 16 years later, the sign's on the wall. 24-hour prayer with singer musicians. Our church grows. We were, we were maybe 500 at the time. We grew to about three, 4,000, some number like that. I don't know. And all the new people, not all, a bunch of new people would say, what's that sign? For 16 years, I go, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> It looks like it means 24-hour prayer with singers and musicians. It's kind of what it looks like. They go, when are you going to do it? I go, I don't know. They go, how are you going to do it? I go, I don't know. I don't I don't even know. And for 16 years, I got used to saying, I don't know. You know, I didn't overly worry about it. And then in 1999, 16 years after 1983, the Lord made it clear, resigned the church. I turned it over, go down the road, start this new organization called IHOP, like we all raise our own support, like YWAM. We had 600 people staff members. We raised our support. It's like, that's a bummer. But anyway, you understand. And, and then we got a local church that grew out of it, of the people that, you know, in the in the, in the in the culture and the society around that aren't part of the staff. But all of our staff is a part of the church. So so we start. And so, and so then we start having conferences. And some of you are aware of our One Thing Conference. We had it for 18 years, some number like that, I think 18 years, uh, One Thing Conference. And for the last 10 years, we would many times have 20, 25,000 sometimes, sometimes more uh, people coming to the Young Adult Conference at the end of the year, 2020, millions of hits on the website. Our staff grew at one time to 1,000. We've had 20,000 full-time people over the last 22 years, 20,000 full-time in our midst. Most of them stay three or four years, and then they go somewhere else, and they do it. 19,000 of them are out in the nation somewhere. So it's really cool. So 
I run into my old church members because my church members didn't join IHOP with me. They stayed with the church with the new pastor. But weddings and funerals, I say that. And we're old friends. Hey, Mike, he was our pastor for 16 years. And when they go, hey, man, that big conference, like 25,000 young people, a couple million people coming to your website every year, and, and blah, 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 blah. And they go, and this is, oh, I love this. And I'm coming right to the punchline. They go, your dream. Your dream came true. It happened. Oh, my God. It really happened. And I like to say this. I don't like to say this like some haughty way. I go, no, no. I hope it's not my dream. I hope it's my assignment. It's not my dream. The primary dream of my heart. Nobody can touch it. And if I hope falls apart, my dream is intact. No devil can touch it. No man can take it. No amount of increase or decrease can touch the dream of my heart. I go, that's not my dream. That's my assignment. If IHOP was my dream, I would have quit before the 22-year mark because there's so many pressures. But every ministry, so I'm not, I mean, all million ministries in the earth, we've all got that. But I come to IHOP feeling I'm a success. That's why I can handle the pressures of the ministry. But if I came to IHOP trying to be successful by IHOP going good, and people being happy, I would be burned out with bitterness and weariness. I have to, I can't work to become successful. I work because I am successful in the primary sense. And I like the secondary senses of success. I do appreciate them, but I'm not gonna let them define if I'm successful. IHOP is my assignment. It is not the dream of my heart. Nobody can touch the dream of my heart. And that's why my heart can stay alive and stay vibrant. Well, I'm gonna end with that. I love it. I, and again, I sense such a kindred spirit. I'm just watching you earlier. I go, oh my goodness. I love these people. Michael, I love you. Your wife is amazing. Anyway, that's for another day. But, but let me pray first. Let's just come before the Lord. I think there's people in that room right now. Maybe some of the people that gave your heart to the Lord an hour ago. Maybe somebody is on the staff. And you've never intentionally made what I call the most important decision of my Christian life. I determined, Psalm 94, 91 verse 14, I'm going to set my heart to love you as the primary dream. I don't even know how to do it. The Lord says, you don't have to know. Set your heart. I will bring literature to you. I'll bring people to you. I'll give you dreams. I'll give you insights. I'll whisper. I'll help you. I'll teach you through your failures. I'll teach you through success. I'll teach you through the lips of others. I'll teach you through your own mouth. When you're talking, an idea will pop into your head for the first time. I will show you if you will set your heart. So, Lord, here we are, all over the room. I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come on up for a minute. They'll just come up and get ready just to lead in worship for a few minutes so people can talk to the Lord. This, I believe there's a number of really sincere believers I'm talking to. You've never made this the intentional, like, it actually is going to be the primary dream. I'm going to abide in love. I may not do well, but I'm going to do it. And if you will remind me, I'll return to it 10 times this year if I get away from it. And, and you'll have to return less and less as the years go on. But I still have to return to it because I, I get swept away by exciting things or by difficult things. So, Lord, here I am. And I say I thank you, Jesus. That you love me the way the Father loves you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed that the love with which the Father.
Father loves him. You, Holy Spirit, put it in me. I'm asking you to mark me afresh with the vision to make this the primary dream of my life for the day I meet you face to face. Help me. I'm weak in my flesh. I easily get distracted. I easily get discouraged. Help me. I'm a weak human. And that's what you excel on, coping with weak, weak humans like me. Help me. Mark me. Psalm of Solomon 8, 6. Put a seal, a mark tonight in a new way on my heart. Even if it doesn't, you don't feel anything. Mark them, Lord. Even if they don't feel it, mark them with a new resolve. It's a new resolve that tomorrow they'll still have the resolve in their heart. Though they might not feel different, they'll have a new resolve. I ask you, Song of Solomon 8.6, fire, mark the heart that results in a new resolve. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.